what, some are, what are some of the basic things about what it means to belong to Jesus? And what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And what are some of the, the kind of basic, most basic building blocks of what that, that looks like? And so we've been kind of touching on those things before we uh, jump into sort of Christmasness in a little bit. Uh, but um, wanted to continue that today. And uh, last two weeks ago, if you remember, we, we showed this little, this little kind of triangle that, that we had. And uh, the... The middle of it has sort of a crown of thorns, and um, I remember uh, I mentioned that we talked to some guys who um, who are involved with different church planting movements in different parts of the world, and uh, had asked sort of what is the basics of what you try to teach your churches and you try to teach your people, especially in contexts where there's really rapid growth and uh, there's not a lot of people with a lot of training. So said, what are the things you kind of say, these are the most important things um, to, to make sure people understand about what it means uh, to follow Jesus as individuals and also uh, as, as a church. And he said these were sort of the three basic things that came down and it really impacted me. Um, not original to him by any means. It's actually original to Jesus, but uh, uh, lots of different people have organized it this way. But he said, first of all, we love people in the center kind of represents a crown of thorns. The, the, our people in our churches to have Jesus as their absolute king. They belong to Jesus. He's the king of their lives. And we try to make sure that that is understood that above all else, uh, Lord, uh, Jesus is our king. And then we tried to say, above all else, right after that, Jesus asked, was asked, what is the most important commandment? He says, it's to, to, love, to love God. And so the, the next thing we like to make sure people really truly know that above all else, more than uh, winning God through anything, it's about loving God with your whole heart. And, um, and last week we looked a little bit, uh, or two weeks ago, we looked at sort of these different, these three different images that uh, kind of helped us to understand what that, that meant. Um, so one of them was this little cross, and uh, we have sort of arrows going at the cross and arrows going away from the cross and uh, a lot of people think about Christianity is like am I in or am I out like is there the what is the line that I need to cross to get in to make sure I'm in uh, and am I in or am I out and he said well that's it gave the example of how sometimes people like to say what if I just live my life however I want and like the last day like do a sinner's prayer and repent and sort of slide into home at the final day he said well that's not really loving God and loving God is sort of the direction of your will and uh, that the those arrows, kind of the larger arrows going at the cross sort of represent someone really going at Jesus and saying, I love you with all of my heart. And the, you know, the arrows going away are sort of drifting away from God, some quickly and some not so quickly. Um, but where is your heart towards God? And we talked about um, the love, loving God coming first and foremost from God's love for us. And so we looked at this image where uh, it says father and then identity. Um, you can go back to the other one still for a second. Uh, where it says father and then identity and sort of your, 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 our love for God flows out of our father's love for us and that gives us a new identity and that identity leads us to obedience we actually you actually want to when you're in a relationship with somebody who loves you and you receive that love it actually changes you and it even makes you want to even makes you want to obey him in a strange way and you find that happen as you follow Christ where things you never thought you'd want to do you probably have experienced that if you ever have like rented a movie that you used to love before you knew the Lord or when you just started knowing the Lord and then like 10 years go by and you're like this movie's great it's such a clean movie and then you put it on and you're like ah oh man and if you do that sometimes like in front of relatives it kind of can be awkward, but, uh, um, you know, God changes you, and you begin to want to obey him, and then we looked at this idea of loving God being sort of like a pendulum, where we go from abiding in Christ to being fruitful, and as you abide in Christ, um, you sort of give him the, you give him the shears, and you say, I know there are things in me that don't honor you, so I give you permission to prune, and to do what you want with me, and we all have a lot of pruning to do, and as God prunes us, we, we bear more fruit, so that was two weeks ago, and then last week, um, we 
looked at uh, uh, two different sort of topics about loving our neighbor. And so we looked at what does it mean to, um, to love people who are in Christ? What does it mean to love the church? And uh, how God calls us to be people who above all love each other. And the world will know that we belong to Jesus by the way that we love each other. Um, but as Christians, you don't, you don't get to only love your own. Because uh, you're also kind of called to love everybody else. Everybody who is not in Christ. Especially, Jesus highlights, especially your enemies. Uh, he likes to highlight um, just to make sure you don't feel like I pretty much nailed it and I could check it off. Uh, he, put, he holds up um, the love of those who are your enemies uh, as, some, as sort of a, a benchmark for that. Um, so that was last week, and we looked at several different things connected to that. So this week is sort of the third week, and we're looking at the topic of making disciples. And uh, this is something we've talked about quite a bit this year. So some of the things I'll talk about are stuff that some of you have already heard, and uh, some things maybe will be new that you haven't heard. But um, that's what we're going to look at this week, of what does it mean to say, I, love, I, I long to love God above all else. I want to love my neighbor, my neighbor in the church, and my neighbor outside of the church. Um, but I also want to be used by God and to pass what I've received from God on to other people. And so that's what we're going to look at um, today. So if we can go to, uh, can you go to the, the next one. So we're going to use this little tool, and it's a tool that has helped me to kind of think through what does it mean to make disciples. Some people call it uh, the, four, the four fields, I think is what um, people like to refer to it as. But it's a little tool that helps me think about me as an individual and then us as a church. What does it mean for us to be involved in making disciples? So uh, the, next, uh, the next slide, if you can go to Alex, is the, um, this is kind of the verse that we all, uh, many of us know. Some of us might not know. Um, this is sort of the, the verse, the great, there's the great commandment, which is love God and love people. And then this is the great commission. And those, those two things sort of balance out what it looks like uh, to be sort of this, this balanced triangle we had in the beginning. And the great commission is from Matthew 28, uh, 18 to 20. And it says, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Um, which is such a massive statement to say all authority everywhere in all of the universe is mine. I mean, sometimes we like to wash that over, but either that's true or Jesus was crazy. Really, I mean, that is such a bomb of a statement to say, like, all of the authority everywhere that you can see or not see in everything is mine. And uh, he says, so because of that, uh, go and, and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And uh, this is the Great Commission. And some of you maybe know the Great Commission well, and some of you maybe don't. But, um, you know, it's an interesting thing. Many people know the Great Commission, um, but it seems like we're not necessarily really, really awesome at the Great Commission. We know it well. Um, we can parse it out really well. Um, but it's not something we necessarily um, all buy into. And more than of the three things, no one really who follows Christ I've met yet says, I really think that whole loving God is something that was sort of just for a select few, but not for me. Uh, no one really ever says that. And of loving your neighbors yourself, I never hear anyone say, well, that's something that some people are called to do. But uh, not all of us are called to, to love our neighbors or ourselves. But, but more than anything else, make disciples is one that over the years has been sometimes relegated to the, the professionals or um, considered to be something that maybe just a few people should do and not everybody should do. Uh, but I believe that uh, the Great Commission, just as much as the Great Command, is something that is for everybody. Uh, and I think Christian history bears that out. I think the majority of disciples who have been made throughout history have not been made kind of through professionals, but have been made by regular people who just uh, in their work and in their life tell other people about who Jesus is. Um, Justo Gonzalez is a church historian and uh, a good church historian. Of the, and uh, one of the things uh, that I'm going to butcher as a quote because I didn't write it down, uh, is he says in the first three centuries, the, 
the main, more than, more than professional missionaries or more than professional kind of people sent out as sort of apostolic bands, more than anything else, uh, the, spread, the church spread through slaves and through merchants traveling from one place to another and for exiles and from migrants. And those were, those were the lines in which the gospel crossed from one place to another, more than anything else. Not that people shouldn't be sent out to go do the work, uh, but that was the main way it happened. And you can see it in places like Romans. If you look at the very end of the book of Romans, you see this list of like seven different uh, maybe like households and it's interesting the, the, the apostles had never been there uh, Peter had never been there Paul had never been there no one had ever been there yet there were all these groups that were already meeting so who were these people and where did they come from and how did they get started yet they had already got it started and they were already going and uh, so I believe the great I believe the great commission is something that is for all of us and is something that we're all called to do and I think you see that um, throughout the gospels at different points that he doesn't just send out the 12 uh, he sends out the 72, and he sends out all sorts of people. And almost like the generic rules that whenever people came to know Jesus, the next thing they did was they just went and they told everybody about it. Um, because when something good happens, you, you tell people about it. It's kind of just the way we go. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at, the, at what that Great Commission is. And if you think, I don't think that is for me. We can, uh, we can have a talk later on and uh, let's figure it out together. But, um, but that's kind of the perspective I'll be coming from. So this little tool that has been helpful for me that some people have called the, the four fields is a, is a good tool to sort of work through and say, what does it look like? Um, how are we doing as individuals and how are we doing as a church? So I'm going to work through that together with us. And probably today I'll just have time to do the first two and then uh, we'll finish the other ones at, uh, next week probably. Um, so it's, it kind of has the empty field, the seeded field, the growing field, and the harvest field. And Jesus used lots of images of harvest and of growing and of seeds. And, uh, and I think he did that. Um, one, because it, it was language that his people would understand that he was speaking to. But also, it's, there's really never been a history, point in history where, you know, we don't grow things. Uh, we're maybe in a place like Chicago a little more distant from what that looks like and how that goes. But, um, but still, all of these things are involved in our lives, whether we know them or not. Uh, we, we, have so, we grow things in our backyard. And by we, I mean Krista. And, uh, um, and I eat them, some of them. And uh, uh, it's, it's, it's fun to kind of work together and see how this works. But for people throughout the world and throughout history, um, these are simple ways of kind of understanding the way the world works. And I think that Jesus uses lots of these types of metaphors when he speaks about, um, when he speaks about the kingdom of God. Uh, so the empty field kind of refers to uh, what does it look like to connect with those people who do not know Jesus? Uh, what does it look like to, for those who, who have yet to hear the gospel? How does it go? How do you connect? What is, how, how does it start? Where, what does that feel like? And then the seated field is the, the question of how, how do I share my faith? And what does that look like? And one of the things that I've encountered over this last year specifically is that um, many people don't share their faith because, to be totally honest, we don't, I don't equip many people how to share their faith. And other than this year, I don't think I did a whole lot of trying to equip people on how to share their faith. Um, Paco and I, Pastor Paco and I, realized that Probably more than anything else, we equip people to invite people to church with the assumption that as long as they could show up at our events and they could show up at our Sundays and they could show up at our programs, somehow magically that would turn into people hearing about Jesus and wanting to follow them. And we just realized that we, we did that. We were given like a little packet. It's kind of a, there's a, a church organization that sort of creates little packets for things like Christmas. And uh, someone sent it out to us and it said, train your church to be inviters. So I said, I should train you all to be inviters. And Paco uh, and I looked at that and said, that's not what we want to be. We want to train our people to love Jesus and to know how to tell other people about Jesus. Although inviting is great, uh, I don't think that the kingdom of God mostly grew through inviting. And, uh, 
Um, the next th so that's the seeded field, and we'll talk about those two today. And then next week, the growing field is once a seed is kind of taken, what does it look like to help somebody grow up into maturity? Um, you don't want people just to say yes to Jesus and then leave them there. What does it look to grow up and become that healthy, that healthy seedling that um, is strong and can resist the storms and um, learn how to grow up and uh, even take care of itself? And in the harvest field, if you see things are kind of are sort of bundled together, uh, it's the question of what does it look like to bring people together, not just to grow up as individuals, because Christianity is not just about following Jesus was never meant to be just you and Jesus. Um, it is you and Jesus, but it's you and Jesus and other people, and that's the way God has always designed it. And lots of Jesus is teaching you actually can't do it unless you're interacting with other people. Um, so what does it look like to be the church together? And then um, those little arrows in the middle talk about how the process repeats itself. And it's interesting in harvest, every harvest contains the seeds that you need for next year's work. They always do. And so the way of nature is that even in harvest, uh, uh, the seed is always ready to go for the, for the next year. And so that's what we're going to look at over the next two years, and this tool will hopefully help us through that. So today I wanted to look at first um, this, this, the empty field, uh, the empty field. And I don't know if, you know, we live in, in a country where there's a lot of access to who Jesus is. I don't know if the field is really ever totally empty, but what does it look like for us to, um, to engage people who do not know who Jesus is? And a couple of verses came to mind. Some of these are really, really famous verses. So um, the first one is the official verse of field goals and extra points. Uh, have you ever seen how whenever, like there used to be, I don't know if it happens very much, in the old days, like I would always watch football and there'd always be like, John 3.16 in the uprights. And I'm, I don't know if like a lot of people really came to know the Lord after watching like Raiders games and seeing that the extra point was good. But either way, there was always seemed like there was some guy holding up John 3.16. Maybe I was the only guy who watched the extra point. You don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, uh, trust me, it happened. Google it. It's true. Uh, so John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I think the first thing as you think about Seeing somebody go from not a follower of Jesus to a, a part of a church and to growing and being a part of a body is you have to engage people who do not belong to Jesus. And we engage people all the time in the city that do not know Jesus, but we probably won't care unless we, uh, 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 something grows in our heart that gives us a love for people who do not know the Lord. And we talk about loving the Lord and we talk about loving our neighbor as ourselves. But I think the first thing, kind of the first heart thing that has to happen um, for us to be a church or for us to be individuals um, who, who make disciples is there needs to be a love for people who are far from God. And if you go through life and you feel no love for people who find themselves extremely far from God, either maybe you've just gotten so used to what the gospel has done in your own life that you don't find it very important, or you just are too busy, or it's so overwhelming, like the burden of that is so overwhelming that you just kind of can't really deal with it. But the, the first thing that I would say that I, I've discovered to help me is to... Uh, to have a true love, a true love for people who do not uh, know who the Lord is. And this is, this is what motivates God to do the work that he did. And he came to rescue us when we were not interested. And the Bible says when we were, when we were enemies of God, when we were his enemies, when we had no interest, uh, that's when he came to rescue us. And that is the heart of God. The heart of God is for those who are far from him and his desire to bring them close. He's the, he's the one who leaves the 99 sheep and he looks for the one that's lost. He's the one who searches after those who are far from him. And I believe that the more you connect to the heart of God, um, the more your own heart will be moved towards those who are far from God. And one of my checks to see, am I really connected to the heart of God well, is to ask myself, do I care 
Uh, do I care about people who find themselves very, very far from God? And if the answer is no, uh, I have to ask myself, why is that? Um, why, why don't I care? And uh, that's the first thing. Maybe you can just do like a little um, check on your heart. And then the second thing that helps me as I go out and try to interact with people and desire to see people come to know the Lord, um, this is from, the, this John 4.35 is from the story of the Samaritan woman. And uh, the Samaritan woman, if you remember the story, uh, is the woman who was at the well at uh, the middle of the, the day when no one else would go to the well. She really had someone who had a, a difficult past and a difficult present. And uh, it's like Jesus organized the entire scenario to sort of be with this woman. It, was so, it broke through barriers for her, him to kind of go and interact with somebody who is one, a Samaritan, and two, a woman. But it's like he organized the whole moment. He actually sends his disciples away for that moment. Like they leave. I think they probably couldn't have handled that moment. So he's like, uh, go buy something. Look, a deer. Go that way. Just leave. Uh, I need some time alone right now. And he like he organizes the entire moment so he can spend time with this woman. And uh, when his disciples come back, um, one of the things he tells them is he says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. They are ripe for harvest. And I, I hear sometimes people saying, no, people aren't really interested in God right now. It's, it's difficult to tell people. I believe that the fields are ripe for harvest. I believe that in Little Village. And uh, for those who have, uh, amongst us who have sort of taken the, the step to start to be a little more bold in sharing, one of the things I've been surprised to find is that people are actually really interested. People often are not very interested in church and not very interested in religion and not very interested in lots of things, but people are often very interested in Jesus. And if you can talk to them about Jesus, often the answer is yes. It's not, it's, it's shockingly easy in Little Village. The more, I've only had like one person hardcore tell me, like, you have an imaginary friend and you are crazy and never talk to me again. Everybody else has been like basically interested enough to at least to make another day to get together with me and then not show up. And so it really has not, it, like that's been the next worst thing. Like there is tremendous, the fields are ripe for harvest. Uh, they truly are. Uh, they might not be ripe for harvest to show up at our next event. They might not be ripe for harvest to come and join us on a Sunday morning, but they are ripe for harvest to come and have an encounter with Jesus. And it might just be that you are the person who's going to bring that, that, that message to them. Uh, so the belief for that, and belief that God has prepared people. And then Luke 10 too, something that has helped to, to form me as well. And, and in Luke 10 is a story of Jesus sending out the 70 or 72, depending on what version you have. And uh, he sends out this large group. It was like he almost sent out just about everybody at that point. He didn't necessarily, at that point in his ministry, have a whole lot of people. Um, and he kind of sent out a significant group. It wasn't just the 12. He sent out a lot of people. And uh, despite that he's sending out a lot of people, he still says, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And the next line, actually, in 10.3, is he says, go. You guys go. You're the answer to your prayer. Um, pray for it and then go. Uh, then you're, you're next. So I want to encourage you, uh, in your own life, and for me, I challenge myself with this often, uh, do you find yourself, as we interact with a city where many people right now are far from God, do you find yourself feeling any burden at all for those who are far from God? And uh, if you do, uh, do you have a belief that the harvest is ready? Um, are you interested in connecting? And many of us, connecting with people who are far from God is not hard because it's our family, it's our friends, it's our coworkers, it's the people we run into every day. Um, for some people, especially the longer amount of time you end up being in church, um, eventually kind of your world becomes church friends. And uh, that happens a lot when you've been in church for a very long period of time. And sometimes it's hard because you don't necessarily have a lot of other people to connect with uh, and you have to be intentional. 
I'll tell you a story of one guy who's been somebody who's influenced my thinking a lot uh, over the last years. His name is David Watson, and uh, he was somebody who did a lot of uh, mission work in, uh, in India and different parts of the world. But when he was in the United States, he was a pastor in the United States. And uh, one of the things that he did that was interesting is he, he was called to sort of lead a small church. And uh, the church sort of had the, the vibe of feeling like, nah, nobody really wants God anymore, you know. The, the liberals won or something, I don't know, like very kind of downer, downer church, church vibe. And he said, so what he did is he went to a bar and he found a bar and, uh, and he talked to a bartender and it wasn't like a cool bar, like a sports bar where people like go. It was like a, I am depressed and this is my bar bar. And uh, he went there and uh, he talked to the bartender and he said, hey, do you notice that people often come to your bar and they like just want to talk to you about their problems? And uh, the bartender was like, yeah. And he said, do you, you want to like get work done? But they're always kind of like, just talking to you about everything that's going on. He's like, yeah, all, that's pretty much what happens every day. He says, well, how about I, you just give me a table in the corner, and I'll just go in the corner, and I'll wait there, and anytime you need to get work done, and people want to come in and, like, tell you all about their problems with their wife or their job or their kids or their kid's wife or anything else, just send them to my table and have them come and talk to me. And in one year, in one year, this one guy has had 200 people. He's had two people, 100 men, go be baptized in one year. And he just did it by hanging out in, in a bar and talking to people who were lost. And then at the end of that year, he got fired. He got fired because he was a pastor and he was spending all of his time in a bar. And why is he in a bar all the time? And so they fired him after he led 200 people to the Lord. Uh, but... Uh, uh, what, is, what is your own plan? And we are people who are busy and we don't have a lot of time. And uh, there's, you know, we're, it's a, this, our culture doesn't have a lot of time. So it might be that God is just going to give you one person this year. Uh, but what will it look like? Whether that's a friend, whether that's a coworker, whether that's somebody who's a relative or somebody, you're, one of your neighbors on the street. What would it look like for you um, to be able to, to engage, to feel a love for, uh, for those people that God has prepared and to begin to engage with them. So that's, that's the first part, the empty field. And then the second thing that we'll talk about today, and we'll probably only get through this today, but probably, I mean, definitely, uh, is the, the seated field. And so here's what happens that I've noticed over the years, that oftentimes people say, I do, I do want to tell the people about Jesus. This thing happened in my life. I am excited about God. God came into my life. It's, it made me uh, come alive, but I don't know how to put that into words, and I don't know what to do with that. So when I talk to somebody, and I want to tell them because I'm not very good at explaining it, I just tell them, you should just come to my church, and they'll explain it to you. Or you should just, you know, like, I don't know, take the Christian Radio 30-Day Challenge or something and see if that does it. Or do something like that, because I don't know, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what happens next. And so um, one of the things that, that we actually learned from a guy who was... Uh, a lot of this thinking came from a guy who was in, in China, whose name is Jin Kai, and he was, uh, he realized that he had a lot of people who were excited about God and excited about their new relationship with Jesus, but they really just didn't know what to do. And so he said, all right, that's my fault. I'm going to train you. I'm going to tell you things you can say. And, uh, and so the seated field, this talks about the idea of what, what are you going to say? What are you going to say when you have somebody? And because what I've discovered is that because it is scary it's scary to talk to people. I mean, maybe some of you feel like it's really easy to talk to others about your faith, but we live in a, in a culture where people say, you know, there's two topics you should never bring up, which is politics and is religion. And so it's kind of hard to bring up politics and religion. Uh, those are just hard things to bring up. Maybe politics less during this election. They sort of are brought upon you, whether you want them or not. But uh, um, it's kind of hard. It's kind of awkward. Uh, at least most of my conversations with guys are like about how the bears stink or whatever. And there's like 
really doesn't feel like a moment where that turns into, hey, want to talk about the most important things of your soul? Like, it just doesn't really happen very often. And so how do you, how do, you do that? And uh, there are some of us, and some of you I know in this room, who find that to be really easy. But for 98% of people you will find, that is really hard. And so, um, so I think it's important to learn certain, certain tools to say, this is what I will say. This is how I'll go. Um, just to begin, um, this verse comes from 1 Peter 3.15. It says, but, revere in, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, uh, asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a, clear, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Um, so always be ready. Always be prepared to give an answer. And what I realized in my life is that, by and large, I was not prepared to give an answer. I didn't really know what to say. I could say anything about anything else. Um, and so one of the things that we've been working on, and many of you have already heard this. Some of you are probably like, oh, man, you're going to bring this up again. But uh, um, one tool that we have used is this thing that people call the three circles. And uh, I feel like this is a good tool that helps out, uh, that has helped me to figure out how to, do, how to share. And so I'm going to share with you how, using this little, this little tool. Alex, can I go? Yeah, thank you. So one thing that I have noticed that people talk about a lot is they talk about how the world is messed up. Have you ever been in a conversation with anyone that things are kind of not good? Uh, if you never have, you probably, you probably have. You just don't know. Uh, but people talk about how things are bad often uh, because there's lots of problems. And so when I, where I always wondered, how do I jump in to come? What is the moment that I talk to somebody? I pray. Um, what has helped me is to be able to start on common ground. And common ground is that this world is messed up. Uh, the world is legitimately messed up. It's a broken world. And what I've found is be helpful is when people start telling me, you know, about how the world is kind of messed up, which happens all the time to me when I talk to people. Uh, it's like a trigger in my brain reminding me, oh, I can, I actually agree that the world's messed up, and I actually think there's an answer. Uh, and so maybe I can talk about that. So starting on that place, I say, you know, can I, can I share a little bit of my story with you? And when you ask someone if they share a little bit of your story with them, they usually say yes because it's weird that you just said that. And uh, they're so taken aback that you just say, can I share a little bit of my story with you? It's like, what? Like, is there somebody else here? I don't even know what's going on. Uh, that by and large people say yes. I've never, literally never, even the people who told me no didn't tell me no to telling my story. They just said that was a lame story. Uh, but uh, um, start with this idea that the world is a broken place. And they say, you know, the world is broken. You, we see it on the news. We see it uh, in whatever, you know, every time you turn on the TV, you discover the world is a mess. Uh, and families are a mess. And uh, society is a mess. There's, the world is broken. Um, but my own life is also broken. And my story is that before I knew who the Lord was, and before I began to follow the Lord, my own life was also a mess. It was really broken. And so I share a few things about my own story. And I say, uh, you know, my own life, uh, I discovered that before I, I came to know the Lord, one, I, was, I felt really, really lonely. Uh, I felt like a lot of people uh, knew who I was, and I was joked around a lot, but like no one actually knew who I was. And I felt really lonely. And the second thing is I really, I didn't like myself very much. I really was not a big fan of Chris. I mean, I kind of was a little bit depressed. I really low self-esteem and struggled. And then not just me, but kind of my whole family before we came to know the Lord had all sorts of struggles with different addictions and, and just dysfunctional behaviors. I joke around that my family tree is like a bush because there's like suicide and everyone died really early. It was just not a good scenario. That was life before we came to know the Lord. So the world is broken, but our, our world is also really broken. And the next thing I say, because if we just stop there, that would be depressing. I say, but that is not the way God intended it. 
Uh, that is not the way God wanted this world to be. God actually made a perfect world. He made a world that, uh, where there was c communion with God, between God and, 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 and people, between people and each other, between people and their environment. God made a really good world. And we still see glimpses of that very beautiful world. Every time we go and look at a beautiful sunset or watch the leaves change, even the snow, whenever someone goes in and out, I can see it's snowing out there. Sorry, you'll have to clean off your cars. But snow is beautiful when it's falling. And... Uh, uh, God made a beautiful world. He made a perfect world. And so the question is, if the world is such a mess, how did that happen? And the, what the Bible says is that it happened because of sin. And, and sin is just doing the opposite of what God wants. And this broken world that we live in is a result of thousands and thousands and thousands of years of doing the opposite of what God wants. And the net result of that is a mess, is a, is a train wreck of a world. Uh, but God does not want it to stay that way because God loves his world. And so these little arrows, the first one represents God coming. And he sent his son and Jesus lived, he lived the design of God. He lived the perfect world of God and he put it into practice. And he didn't, he didn't just come and, and, and initiate the kingdom by living that way. Um, they killed him because a broken world doesn't like things that are healthy. So they, they, they killed him. Uh, but when he died... He took the weight of all of the broken world and all of the sin of the world, including all of my sin and all of my brokenness, and he paid for it on the cross. Uh, and then when he paid for it on the cross, he then rose again. And on the cross, he defeated the power of sin. And by raising again, the greatest weapon the broken world has is death. And, uh, you know, today we have a funeral for a young guy. A week ago, he was perfectly healthy. Um, he went in like five days ago. He's had a pain on his side. That late night, later on that night, he was in a coma, and two days later, he was dead. And that is the, the greatest weapon, uh, that is the greatest weapon this broken world has. But Jesus rose from the dead, and he defeated the power of death. And he broke that power of death, and he rose again, and he went to be with his father. And he calls us now to turn and follow him. And you can stay stuck in that broken world, and you can do all sorts of things to try to get out of that broken world. They usually end you back right back in. But Jesus calls you to turn your back on the broken world and to begin to follow him to turn to follow or to repent and believe. And his promise is that if you do that, he will restore you. He will begin to restore you in this life. And one day his promise is just what happened to Jesus when he rose again is what Jesus will do with the entire world and all those who belong to him. And so he'll bring about total restoration. And so what do you think? Uh, would you be interested in, in following Jesus or knowing more about that? And this is the thing that I've used to share with people. And I sometimes talk, if I had a little more time, I'd say more. Uh, but this is kind of the way, the tool that I use. And if you'd like to learn how to use it, we'd love to train you on that and make it your own. But it's kind of the mesh between your story and, and Jesus' story. And this is, this is true. This is actually the story of what God is doing in the world. And it's true that he really restores people's lives. And if you feel a love for a world that is far from God and, and the empty field, at some point you need to know, how do I communicate this amazing thing that's happened to me to that broken world? And if you don't, you don't know how, um, we'd, we'd love to help you with that. But this is true. And so the first thing I, I want to encourage you as you go to, to, to sow seed, do you, do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that's real for your own life? I mean, have you said yes to Jesus? And not just yes, like I want to go to heaven, yes. But yes, I want to follow a new way of being. I want to follow you with my whole life. I, I will encourage you to say yes. And if you're not sure if you want to say yes, we'd like to meet with you and talk to you more about that. Uh, that's what we do. So I'm going to have the, the worship team come up. We are out of time. And uh, we're going to actually finish with, uh, with the Lord's Supper. So if those who are going to help out can come up. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about what happens next, and uh, that will be fun. But 
I'd like to just sort of leave us at this place then right now. And because this is true, we celebrate it. It's not a tool just to tell other people about Jesus. It's actually what's happening in the world. And we celebrate it. One of the main ways we celebrate it is through the Lord's Supper. And it's a time where we remember the fact that uh, this, this emptiness and this brokenness that we encounter, uh, there is an answer to it. And that answer was the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we celebrate that in the Lord's Supper. We celebrate a sacrifice for us. And so uh, those who are going to help out, if you guys can come up as well. So I'd like us to do during this song that we're going to play in a minute is maybe you can just examine your heart. Maybe it's been a while since you have really been excited about what God has done for you or really been able to thank him truly and say, God, I'm so grateful that you did this for me. Um, Maybe you need to just search your heart for a moment and say, why, if I don't have any desire to do this, to tell other people about you, why? Uh, why is that? And just, just spend some time speaking to the Lord and preparing your heart. And then in just a few minutes, we're going to finish together by taking the Lord's Supper. Um, when you're ready, you can come up and just take, take the cup and take the bread. But don't eat it and, and don't drink it. Wait for a moment and we will all together at the very end uh, drink and eat together. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you that at one moment uh, we were far from you. And somewhere along the line, um, somehow or another, somebody introduced you to us. And uh, we, we thank you for that, God. We thank you for the great gift of salvation. We thank you for the gift of uh, the renewing of all things, including our lives, God. And that one day you will finish that. And God, we also pray that uh, you love the world that is far from you so much that you died for it. And we were that world that was far from you. So, God, would you give us that same love and not let us be content to, to not, not care about that, God. That as we love you with our whole heart, to love you with our whole heart and let our heart be united with your heart will eventually lead right back to loving our neighbor. And loving our neighbor will include loving those who do not know you and wanting them to know the thing that's the most important thing in our life. So would you, would you do that work in our heart, God? And would you um, prune away anything you'd want to prune away that, 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 that hinders us, God? Um, would you speak to us now as we get ready and prepare our hearts to remember your sacrifice? In Jesus' name. So when you feel ready uh, during the song, just come up and take the cup and take the bread, and then we will...